0: Hi everyone, you're listening to the November 2022 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Ricky Marsh. Now, I'm normally one of the last people to get new things, as anyone who's seen my phone recently will confirm, so it's probably no surprise that I had to wait until this month for my first brush with COVID-19. I can't say I recommend the experience, but I think I've just about recovered enough to get through today's recording. Later on, I'll be joined by Lisa Varley and Jamil Morali for an update on the risk settlement market, but first it's time for a bit of deja vu with this month's pensions news. You can also forget pretty much everything I told you last month about the government's fiscal policy direction. An array of U-turns announced first by Kwasi Kwarteng, then by Liz Truss and finally Jeremy Hunt means that almost all of the planned changes from the 23rd of September mini-budget have now been scrapped. In an apparent effort to demonstrate his commitment to fiscal discipline, the new chancellor has also rode back on some changes that had been announced even before the mini-budget. The basic rate of income tax will now remain at 20% indefinitely, where this had previously been expected to reduce to 19% in 2024. And the two-year energy price guarantee has also been cut back to only six months, with a review of support beyond that point likely to result in a new scheme targeted towards those most in need. The medium-term fiscal plan, previously scheduled for the 23rd of November, has now been brought forward to the 17th of November, and it's also been upgraded to a full autumn statement. That should put a bit more meat on the bones of the government's tax and spending plans, and it's also when we'll see the much-anticipated forecasts from the Office for Budget Responsibility. Last month's podcast focused on the market's reaction to the mini-budget. In particular, we were looking at the sharp increase in gilt yields, the pressure this placed on some DB scheme's LDI strategies, and the intervention from the Bank of England to relieve this pressure. If you need a reminder of the details, you can listen back to last month's episode. Alternatively, my colleague Callum McKenzie has written a great article for Pensions Expert explaining what happened, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. The Bank of England's gilt purchase scheme was expanded in its final days to include index-linked gilts, but there was no extension. On the 17th of October, the bank confirmed that the operations had ended, and in a letter to the Treasury Committee, the Deputy Governor stated that, taken as a whole, LDI funds are now significantly better prepared to manage shocks of this nature in the future. The Work and Pensions Committee is now conducting a short inquiry on the lessons to be learned from this experience. As you might expect, the inquiry will focus on the regulation and governance of LDI strategies in DB schemes, but they're also interested in the impact of the recent market volatility on pension savers more generally, including those in DC arrangements. The deadline for submissions to this inquiry is the 15th of November. Now the appointment of the new chancellor and the reversal of most of the mini budget changes seems to have calmed markets for the time being. At the time of recording guilt yields are broadly back to where they were just before the mini budget and the pound is back up to around $1.15. However, that doesn't mean volatility is a thing of the past. There are a few events coming up in November in particular and that includes things like the Chancellor's Autumn Statement and the US midterm elections which could lead to further market movements. The Pension Protection Fund has published its consultation on the levy for the 2023-24 levy year due to be invoiced in autumn 2023. The PPF is in a stronger financial position so most schemes will see a reduction in levy compared to this year. In particular, the PPFs looking to reduce the sensitivity of the levy to changes in insolvency risk, which should mean schemes with weaker employers will see a proportionately bigger reduction in levy than those with stronger employers. However, there could still be some schemes that see their levies go up, for example, where underfunding or insolvency risk have increased since the previous year. As i mentioned before, we're expecting the pensions regulator to introduce a revised asset class breakdown in its 2023 scheme return. If that happens, the PPF will incorporate this into the levy calculation, meaning there will no longer be an optional requirement for schemes to submit bespoke investment stress tests. Looking longer term, the PPF's identified four key design principles for future changes to the levy more flexibility in the amount of levy collected, greater use of scheme based levies, placing more weight on underfunding rather than insolvency risk, and differentiating between schemes of different sizes. Now we've got the draft rules, schemes can start estimating their 23 to 24 levies and considering potential mitigation actions. The PPF's consultation ends on the 10th of November, with the final rules then expected to be published towards the end of the year. The Work and Pensions Committee's published a report on the third and final part of its inquiry into pension freedoms and the protection of savers. This part of the inquiry looks at saving for later life, And the committee notes that, despite the introduction of auto enrolment, over 60% of people are at risk of missing out on an adequate standard of living in retirement. There are warnings that minimum contributions to pensions are too low and that many self-employed and gig economy workers are being excluded completely from pension saving. The report also finds that people over 40 who have had limited time to build up their pension pot through auto enrolment are particularly at risk if they don't have access to a DB pension. The committee recognises that the cost of living crisis probably means now isn't the right time to ask people to increase their savings. However, they are calling on the government to start building a consensus on the need for change and to draw up a plan for introducing higher minimum contributions in the future. Just a very quick update on inflation data as the increases for the year to September 2022 have now been confirmed. The CPI increase came out at 10.1%, and the corresponding RPI increase was 12.6%. These figures are relevant for a lot of DB schemes as September's often used as the reference month for pension increases. Having the actual data may now allow these schemes to have more informed discussions about potential discretionary increases. And finally, following its earlier consultations, the DWP has published its final regulations for pensions dashboards. These confirm the dashboards project is going ahead as expected and any changes from the draft regs had already been announced over the summer. So I won't go back over them here. I should, however, take this opportunity to plug a breakfast discussion that's being held at our London office on the 30th of November. Aon's dashboard and member option specialists will be joined by a panel of experts to discuss how DB schemes can use dashboards to help members navigate through their journey to retirement. I'll include a registration link for that in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. Today's episode marks three years since I started hosting this podcast. It's hard to believe that in all that time, I've only had one episode that focused on risk settlement. And that was actually my first episode way back in November 2019. Now, three years is a long time. So when Lisa Varley from our risk settlement team suggested doing a market update this month, I jumped at the chance. I'm pleased to say Lisa's joining me for this today, and she's also roped in Jamil Morali, who's involved in both our risk settlement and member options teams. So Lisa, I guess we need to start by just acknowledging the unusual background to today's chat. So we've already talked quite a lot about the volatility in financial markets over the last couple of months, but what does that mean for pension schemes considering bulk annuity market transactions?
1: Thanks, Ricky. Clearly, some schemes will have been dealing with significant LDI issues over the last few weeks, and they might now find themselves in a much less liquid position after having to deal with collateral calls. Traditionally, we've seen demand for partial buy-ins because insurer pricing means that the implied return on a buy-in policy is better than just holding the gilts that you'd use to fund it. And of course, by buying a policy, you're also removing longevity risk, which is a significant factor for lots of schemes. However, we might reasonably expect demand for partial buy-ins to slow down now. Some schemes will be seeking to deleverage their asset positions and increase their liquidity. And by its very nature, a buy-in policy is a highly illiquid asset. However, we've seen a general trend over 2022 of increasing bond yields. And for some schemes, this has resulted in a significant improvement in their solvency position, particularly those schemes that are under hedged. Even for those schemes which are fully hedged versus solvency, the pound amount of any buyout deficit will have shrunk over the year, meaning that many schemes will now find themselves within check writing distance of a full scheme transaction and increased engagement from sponsors who see an opportunity to remove pension risk altogether. Our expectation is that demand for full scheme transactions will continue to increase over the coming months.
0: Okay, so Jamil, Lisa's mentioned there that some schemes may now be in this fabled check-writing distance from buyout, but what about schemes that have still got a bit of a funding gap despite recent improvements in funding levels?
2: Thanks, Ricky. Yeah, so a number of schemes are getting closer, but are still not there. There are a number of actions schemes and sponsors can take to bridge that final gap, but also better position themselves if and when they approach the insurance market. I'm sure we'll discuss preparation later. So more specifically, on reducing that funding gap to buyout, one could carry out member options exercises that can, in many cases, lead to significant savings. These exercises could be a one-off bulk exercise such as a pension increase exercise for current pensioners or a bulk transfer exercise for deferreds, and here the savings would be immediate at the point the exercise is completed. Or alternatively a scheme can introduce new options at retirement e.g. a bridging pension option or a PI option particularly where there is a reasonable time period before carrying out the annuity transaction and here the savings would occur over time as members retire. There is sometimes a view that member options have to be carried out before the annuity transaction but it is possible with agreement of the insurer particularly for the larger 1 billion pound deals to carry out a bulk exercise in the buy-in to buy-out phase and still achieve those savings.
0: Lisa, what's the outlook for bulk annuities like at the moment?
1: We're still seeing very attractive pricing from insurers, which is also driving demand from pension schemes for these types of transactions. The average full market transaction size has been around £35 billion a year over the last three years. And if yields had been less volatile this year, we'd have expected this trend to continue. However, rising yields reduces the pound amount of transactions that are written. So we might more realistically expect a £30 billion pound year for 2022. And that's noting that £12 billion pounds of deals would been, were written in H1 of this year. So as you might recall, Ricky, 2019 was a bumper year for bulk annuity transactions. And there were a number of multi-billion pound deals written. We saw the average deal size fall in 2020 and 2021. However, we're aware of a number of mega deals currently in the market or due to approach the market in early 2023. And this means that deal volumes will be pushed back up again.
0: Yeah, so um, when we last talked about risk settlement back in 2019, the focus was very much on those jumbo transactions. And I guess from what you're saying there, it feels like things may have come full circle over the last three years. Jamil, just at the risk of recycling, a question I probably used last time. If all of these big deals are in the pipeline, is there a danger that smaller schemes could get crowded
2: out? It's true that multi-billion pound deals are a much bigger prize for insurers who have stretching volume targets set typically in pound terms to meet each year. However, we saw in 2019 that having these large deals in the market can create opportunities for smaller schemes too. So if say three insurers are competing for one of these mega deals, and clearly only one can be chosen, the other two will need to fill that hole and will have assets and capital ready to deploy. We've seen this happen in real life examples again in 2022 on a number of cases as this has translated into great pricing opportunities for smaller schemes which are well prepared to move quickly. However, increasing demand means that the bar is getting ever higher for schemes of all sizes to demonstrate transaction certainty. There's a risk that some schemes might decide to approach insurers with data that hasn't fully been cleansed or a benefit specification that isn't fully signed off, for example. This is a big red flag to insurers who have to use their limited resource wisely. So it can mean that schemes don't get insurer engagement. Our advice to clients is always to make sure that they've done as much preparation work as possible before entering the market to give them the best possible chance of high insurer engagement. And therefore build in the most competitive tension and better pricing for our clients. The most important point here is being well prepared to take advantage of those opportunities, so use any time now to get better prepared.
0: Now Lisa, Jamil's already touched on data and benefit specs but what other areas should schemes be thinking about in terms of preparing for a transaction?
1: So preparing your assets is also key to achieving a successful transaction with an insurer. Given the recent behaviour of bonds, there might be a temptation for schemes to purchase more illiquid assets with less volatile returns. However, to transact with an insurer, you need a liquid portfolio of corporate bonds and gilts that can either be transferred in specie to them or disinvested quickly to pay a cash premium. And in fact, we're seeing lots of schemes actually accelerating their exit strategies from illiquid assets so that they can lock into pricing opportunities with an insurer. De-risking your assets ahead of a transaction is really important. The more you can do to match movements in insurer pricing using your assets, which will again mean using a mixture of low-risk bonds, the less likely it is
0: that you'll see your funding position versus versus an insurer's price deteriorate. And Jamil, just to wrap things up, can you say a bit about the member
2: experience? Sure. So. As we know, an insurance transaction is typically considered, and rightly so, as a risk reduction mechanism. The transaction provides security to members from a different provider and regime, and often the member experience is overlooked in the buyout journey. What I mean by this is the actuarial factors, for example, transfer value and cash commutation factors used by insurers are different to those used by pension schemes and as such there could be winners and losers depending on when a member draws their benefits either before or after that transaction. So it is important to consider communicating the impact of the annuity transaction clearly so members can decide if they want to draw benefits before or after the annuity is signed. For example, typically transfer values provided by the insurer are lower than that from pension schemes so a member considering transferring may be better doing so before the unity contract is signed. Drawing on earlier comments about improved funding positions, this has led to some schemes having a surplus on buyout. The natural next question is how should trustees utilise this? So trustees will have a duty of care to members and may want to provide discretionary pension increases given the current high inflation environment. And in my view, it's a reasonable use of surplus. But on the flip side, some, probably many, companies will want to access that surplus as they're the party who have ultimately been economically exposed to the financing of the scheme over time. So for trustees to be able to use the surplus on discretionary pension increases, maybe the way to do this is to do a deal with a sponsor uh, around uh, moving to buyout and winding up and potentially agree to refund some of that surplus. So a win for all parties.
0: Great. Well, thanks to both of you for joining us today. And hopefully it won't be another three years before we come back to this topic. Thanks, Thanks, Ricky. Right, that's another episode done. Thanks again to my guests, Jamil Morali and Lisa Varley. And thanks to you for listening. I'm off to look for a phone that can actually perform basic functions without crashing, but I'll be back with more next month. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com. Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.